All right. Well, welcome back to uh, The Walls Within, episode 13. Uh, I'm not superstitious, Curtis, are you? I'm not going to say this is an unlucky episode, but maybe that's foreshadowing what we're about to talk about. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Should we just skip 13, 13 and 13? Went to, it's like went, the hotel, went to, right? Isn't that interesting that we picked this one to be episode 13? All right. So foreshadowing there. Happy New Year, everybody. If you're still listening, we took uh, took a couple of weeks off for the holiday break and uh, and had some uh, some great family time. So uh, we didn't ghost you. We didn't stop uh, updating the Instagram thing on purpose there. Just honestly, time gets away from you. So we're back at it, uh, and I appreciate everybody tuning back in. Um, let's see. The outdoor game's going on right now, the Winter Classic. It's uh, the 2nd of January, back to work tomorrow for me. And um, and so we're uh, taking the opportunity to record this one. So, again, thanks for joining us. And uh, interestingly enough, I already foreshadowed it. What we're going to talk about today is uh, is is kind of near and dear to both of us, and um, you know, there is the, the the mental side of things, and the things we do for mental preparation, and and that starts as you develop your training plan. It starts when you when you are in training, where you start to build confidence through mental preparation, and you do that through your routine. It starts years, months, weeks, and even days before the event, the culminating event, whether that's a game. In my case, whether that's a big sortie, whatever it may be, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the specific things that you do on the day of performance. So you've woken up. Now we know and I acknowledge that there are things that you do in preparation a day or two in advance. But we're going to specifically talk about the superstitions and rituals that we have that are presented um, in our minds the day of an event. So we wake up. And there's this game day structure and this game day routine. And I can tell you, it's, you know, similarly, if, if you know, in, in the flying world, you're flying maybe three, four times a week. And in the hockey world, if you're, if you're a starter or, or you skate out, uh, you're again, you're prepping for that two, three, four games a week, kind of a week. So the morning of the event, you wake up with probably a different mindset than on a day where you're not playing a game. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. Um, that confidence that comes from those preparations. And we're going to talk about when they potentially have the, uh, the, the chance or opportunity to go a little bit too far. So with that, uh, with that said, uh, that's really what we want to focus on today. What we're going to talk about, I'd encourage everybody to interact with us. If, if we say something in the podcast that you want to hear more about, or you're curious, again, hit us up on the Instagram. You can email us. Uh, at thewallswithin.com via our website uh, there. And um, we look forward to kind of getting your feedback on this one because, again, neither Curtis or I really consider ourselves experts. We're more just experienced in what we've done and what we've seen, which is which is uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, so with that, Curtis, I'll turn it over to you for, for opening comments. Yeah, I was thinking about just some of the routines and, and how they were developed. And looking back on it now, I think, all these, they always say goalies are weird, right? Like that's the one thing people always say, goalies are so weird. And we're really not. Um, well, maybe that's just me saying it. But, um, you know, if I look back and think of some of the routines and habits that I developed in order to get ready for a game, they really started to come to when hockey began to become a full day event, right? And that's, for me, that would have been probably around college when you were playing primarily on weekends. And a lot of these routines and habits were just a way of trying to fill the time before the game. 
you know, there, there were a couple objectives of things that you wanted to get done in order to kind of warm up properly and time yourself for getting dressed for warmups and whatnot. But Absolutely. all the other like really weird, strange things that kind of seem to occupy, let's just say those two hours from the time that you arrive to the game to when you actually step on the ice for the game are just kind of like accidental things that seem to have fallen in place because I was just trying to fill time. You know, outside of maybe like five to 10 minutes of, okay, I just have this little warm up stretching uh, routine, everything else, all the little nuances of putting one pad on, one skate on, um, turning a certain way. You know, the first step is with my right foot, I tap each pad with a stick before I step out. Like the insanely long list of things that were developed were just by accident. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the hard part that I always had, and this is something that cracks me up, is that once the season wraps up and you end, you just kind of put all that to bed. You don't have that routine anymore. Then you come back four months later and you try and remember some of the things that you were doing in order to get ready for a game. And it's like you have to reteach yourself uh, these routines or these habits that uh, kind of help you prepare. But I think the biggest thing, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, is you know, those, those things that you do in order to get ready for a game are, are just about forming a consistent, um, predictable routine that allows you to get into that mindset of performing at the level that you need to perform at. I, I completely agree. And so from, from my experience, you know, you hit on a really good point. You talked about when it went from becoming just a way to fill space to actually like that game day, or like as an example for me, when I'm flying a big mission, my whole day is focused on that. And when you're playing at the college level or higher, your whole day on game day is focused on the game. And then you've got time after the game to kind of deal with whatever else you want to in the day before you go to bed. But so when, when life becomes like that and then, and then the task at hand becomes the priority. Yeah. You, you've got to, you've got to fill that space with things that are going to get you kind of um, prepared. And I hesitate to use the word in the zone because I'm not talking about the concentration or the mental piece of it. I'm talking about the routine and what we call in the flying world, the logistics of getting ready to perform your task. And so it becomes very methodical for, I think for a couple of reasons. For me, when I go in to fly, you know, a mission, whether it's first thing in the morning or later in the afternoon, my routine is pretty much the same. And it's, it's that way for a reason because I can't afford to forget anything. And that's a big one is, is, is that in order for me to optimally perform and set my mind at a point where I can concentrate on the things that are, that are critical, I need to make sure that I've got a mental checklist completed of all the things that I've got to get done before I walk out to the jet. And that includes making sure, you know, all the things that I've got to bring out to the airplane are, are packed up and ready and updated. You know, we fly with iPads that have got all of our current approach plates and all of our publications and checklists and all that. I got to make sure that's, that's doped up, doped out. I got to make sure I got a water bottle. I got to make sure all my gear is pre-flighted and all that stuff. And so I can't think about the performance aspects of what I'm going to go do. If, if I'm, if I'm occupied on uh, my helmet still getting set up, it's not, it's not, it's not ready to go yet. I'm now I'm distracted by that. So a way of, in my mind, a way of allowing my brain to focus on the important stuff is eliminating distractions. And so that's really how I view kind of the pregame routine, at least for me. I would imagine, you know, other than the mental preparation piece, which I do want to talk about, I think for you, correct me if I'm wrong, it's probably really similar. 
you're checking off all those things that you have to get done so that your brain is clear when it comes time to perform, you're not distracted by those things. Is that, is that? Yeah. And the hardest thing for me always was, is that a lot of times you're, you're at home, you, you know, you spend 41 games at home in a regular season. Um, so, you know, I've got kids and a wife at home and not everything goes according to plan. Now, now they were very understanding about what I wanted to do and what I needed to do to prepare for a game. But at this same point, it's like, oh, hey, you got to run to school and, and pick so-and-so up at 3.30. It's like, well, I got to I got to be leaving the house at four. So, you know, there were always kind of wrinkles thrown into the plan um, that kind of threw that routine off. And that was one of those things that was always hard for me to adjust to and to kind of come to terms with that that's going to happen from time to time. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It wasn't going to dictate the outcome of, of my performance because I had another two hours before the game that I would kind of jump back into whatever routine I want. I was set on for that year and it would usually go for the year. I think the other strange thing is, and I don't know how this would work for you in terms of flying, but the routine wasn't something that was set up and set in stone, right? Like it was, it was almost one of those moving targets where uh, you play a game, you have some success, you did some things particular before that game and you want to recreate that scenario. Now at the same point, it seemed like, you know, sometimes you discard things, sometimes you add things to that plan. So it was, it was constantly evolving. And for me, it always felt like about game five, I was, I had that routine that I was looking for. I kind of knew time-wise exactly how it was going to play out. So as I mentioned, like I had to recreate that. Now, how about yourself? Have you had a routine that's been in place for a number of years or is it something that's continued to evolve and change or are you like, nope, this is it. I'm so close to being done. I'm going to keep it. (laughs) Yes to both of those, right? So there has been things that I have been doing since, since I started, since I started flying. And it's just because that's just what I do. Uh, Here's a a small, weird little example. I always fly with a pen and, and it's, uh, so I fly with a pen. Most guys do, but I fly with a pen. That's gotta be, this is, this is crazy. And this is where we get into the weird idiosyncrasies of fighter pilots of NHL goalies. If I can keep compare those two and say that they're similar but the pen has to be a certain diameter um, for it to fit properly in the pen pocket that's on my flight suit. I, it can't fall out because I don't want to drop it. So like it can't be so loose that under maneuvering or when I move my arm, it slides out of this little pen pocket that's on our sleeve. It also can't be too tight because I don't want to sit there and have to wrestle pulling the pen out of the pocket. So if I just get handed a pen, most people are like it's a pen. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It has to be a retractable pen. It can't be one of those twist pens. So I have to be able to retract it with a button on the top and it has to be able to fit into that pen pocket, the perfect tension so that it slides out easily, but it doesn't fall out. Wait, are you picking up a random pen every time to try and find the right one? Or do you just I'm, have a case full I, of these things that you just have grab? Set, before you? Could... I have a set. I buy pens and I have a set pen that is the right pen that I can write with in flight. And, okay. and if it's, and if it's not the right pen, it just, it takes me, it's gotta be black ink too. Okay. Well, That's know. fair just, enough. Do you, do you have a, what, what is the pen brand? If we can get a name here. Um, so I use, there's a couple I use, uh, I've got a couple and what I do is I, when I find one that I like, I buy a few of them and I just keep them in my drawer I, and, and you're laughing. 
I, I don't know if there are other guys like this. I would imagine there are because I, I, I will note because I know I'm nuts about it. And I say, I'm nuts about it. I'm not nuts about it. It's just one of my things. I see other guys have got, they fly with the same pants. Why do I look? Because it's just one of those things that I notice because it's an idiosyncrasy of mine. I gotta, I gotta look. So that's the pen piece. The pencil piece is equally weird. Um, we have these government skill craft brand pencils that are one point millimeter lead and they're awesome. They're like drafting pencils, but they are, the lead is thick enough that it writes very boldly. And if I ever need the pencil in either emission planning, or if there's something that I want to write and be able to erase, it's gotta be a 1.1. So anytime I get the opportunity to go to the supply closet and get a couple of these, I like stash them because, because they're hard to come by. And that is the pen. I've been flying with 1.1 lead pencils for 15 years. What are you going to do when you're retired? I have a stash of them that I hope I can just, I can just keep them. Yeah. I keep them going. It's just, it won't matter because I'm not, you know, if I'm flying <laughs> civilian, okay. I'm not worried about the pen falling out of my pocket. Um, but it, it's just one of those, what, what are we talking about? Right. But so here's, here's what I'm talking about though. That routine is so important that if I forget my pen, it drives me absolutely bonkers because now I got to grab some random pen. So what winds up happening is I've got a locker at work where I keep paperwork. I have a couple extra pens and pencils stashed in there. I have my life support locker, my flight equipment locker where my helmet and G suit, all that stuff gets stored. I got a couple extra pens and pencils in there. And then I have the one that I keep on my flight suit. So if I ever lose one, you know, I leave it, you know, in mission planning or I leave it in the briefing room or something like that. I've got a spare. Why does it matter? It just does. It's just, those are the pens and pencils that I fly with. I don't know why it matters, but in my mind, it's part of the setup that gets my head right. And then I know that I've got the, the right pencil or pen to, to fly that day. <laughs> what Maybe, uh, if there's a psychologist listening to this, he's probably already analyzing saying I'm certifiably crazy. I don't know. I think it's just, it's a repeatable thing that you're doing. And if, if you take, if you eliminate a lot of the, um, maybe just variables of things that you can, you can control before you go into, uh, an event where there's a lot of things that are kind of taken out of your control, you know, it's, it's a comforting feeling to feel as though you're in control, even though you get put in situations that are sometimes unpredictable. Right. And, and I'm sure that's what you guys deal with all the time. It's, it's similar to a hockey game in that regard where there's just a lot of unpredictable events that occur. And, um, so I don't know, it's, it's a comfort thing, right? Like it's one of those things that kind of puts you at ease. I, I think at any time you're going to perform at a high level at any task you are there's a little bit of nerves jitters before that event and and this was a way to prepare and kind of calm that down center yourself and get ready to implement all those countless hours of practice that you've been working on for days months or years and to go out there and execute and do what you're required to do and this is just one thing that i feel like would always center me and, and get me ready um do you have an instance where things went south and you just, your routine just got completely thrown into the blender and there, there was nothing you could do about it. You still had to go out and perform. Is there anything like that jumps out to you? 
moments like that. I mean, I, I have a few, obviously, with hockey, and we can get to those in a yeah. bit. But what about with the flying world? I have some moments where things went haywire because of because of factors or variables that shouldn't have had any impact on my performance. Mm-hmm. But, but what it did is things that I've either forgotten or like a mission product that I, that I didn't bring that I should have or an update that I didn't make to my publications that I should have, that I didn't have, mm-hmm. that I wanted, or something really silly like I forgot to bring water on a longer mission and I was thirsty. Um, those are the kinds of things that, that I'll, if you allow them to snowball and if you allow those, those variables that should have no impact on my performance, let's be honest, it doesn't matter what I write with in the cockpit. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And I know that. And I've always known that. But if I forget a few of those things, I start to say to myself, hold on. Um, what am I, this is, this is a slippery slope of things that I'm forgetting now. And I'm, and I'm, I'm not locked in. I'm not dialed in and I've had missions where I have forgotten a few things on the ground where I've forgotten to check a few things and I have been now not in the right mental state to take the further steps towards what I'm trying to do. And so those are distractions. And so, like you said, I try to minimize all those distractions. I try to control all these things that are within my power to control so that I can feel like I am empowered to make decisions in, a, in a, an environment where I have zero control over the variables, right? When you're flying fighters, there are external things that you can just cannot control and you have to react to them. Playing goal is the same thing. So there are cases, and I've had several, where I've allowed distractions to get inside my brain and affect me in a way that decreased my performance but shouldn't have because I was no less prepared for those instances. Now there are instances where I have flown and performed poorly where I just wasn't prepared or I just didn't do the task properly either because I didn't understand it or because I was new at it. Those are not what I'm talking about, but there are cases where I've allowed distractions and variables that, that didn't get set up the way I wanted to impact my performance. And so I always go back to the routine and I go back what are the things that I can control? What do I need to do to make sure that when I walk out to the jet, I am free and clear of distractions. And we, we, we had an episode early on in this podcast where we talked about compartmentalizing and a little bit of it has to do with compartmentalizing and being able to put it on the shelf and go, okay, I can't deal with that right now. It's a variable I can no longer control because, because the, the train has left the station, but I got to make sure that it doesn't affect my performance. And, and to answer your question, I, I can think of a couple of things. Now there's a couple other things where some superstitions have trickled in where I think I told you the story something I developed when I played hockey, I always put my left skate, left pad, left side, always first. And it, it was just a thing. It's just how I did it. I started with the left and worked to the right. Well, that translated into flying. It translated into how I suited up and put my G suit on. And and um, there was one, one mission that I was kind of in a hurry to go get dressed. And I remember zipping up my right leg first. I don't know why, I just did. But I also remember acknowledging the fact that I, zip the right one up first and then it wasn't my routine. And I said to myself, you got to get, this is, this is, this is not normal. You have to get over this crazy superstition. Everything is going to be fine. I, I remember in my head saying you zipped up your right leg first, but it doesn't matter. Go fly. And the mission went terribly. Did the voice in your head 
stopped talking before you went out and flew or was it, it talking to you the whole time you were flying? It wasn't talking to me the whole time. Okay. But it was just there. And for me, it was really easy to blame the fact that I zipped up my right leg first than it was, you know, in hindsight now looking back, I, I'd probably done about six other things that had every reason to be why I, I had a bad sortie, but I really, it was, it was rationalizing tool that I used to go, nope, I'm still a decent fighter pilot and it's because I zipped up the right leg first and I'm going to go back to zipping up the left leg and I'm never going to switch it. All right. Here's something for you. At what point in your career were you at with that? Like, is this one of those things, you know, if you look back over, over your career, do you look at it and say, when I first started out, these things were kind of almost controlling in a sense that they would ultimately affect how I was going to fly if I zipped up the wrong leg or, you know, once you're 15 years into your career, is it just one of those things you're like, Oh shoot, I forgot to do that today. It makes no difference. And then it's just, you park it and you go out and you fly and you fly great or whatever, for example. So this is early on in my, in my flying career, but as I've matured and I've become a more experienced aviator, I have now developed this, this capacity to be able to compartmentalize in those rituals or those, those pregame, kind of routine things. And if I don't get it done perfectly, I'm over it. Like it's, it's, I, I know in my mind that it no longer has the impact that it once had. Perhaps a big part of that was when I switched airplanes so late in my career that I sort of had to rebuild all of that habit and all of that routine that I developed in my last airplane, Mm -hmm. which, which was multiple deployments, you know, all those things and, and really long sorties, like 11 and a half hours, I think for one of them, you know, and so here I am now in a new airplane. Well, guess what? You talked about one of those things that, you know, when you have to start over, you're built, build a new routine. Well, I, I was forced because all the equipment was different. The cockpit's different. What you bring out to the jet is different. You know, where my pens are on my flight suit is different. So I was forced to start over and build a new routine, but I did it, built it quickly, but I've gotten to the point now where if I forget something, I'm just like, oh, whatever, it'll be fine. As long as it's not a critical item, you know, as long as, long as I don't go out to the airplane, I forgot my helmet. Well, that's kind of a problem. I got to go back inside and get it. Yeah, I'm not talking about that, but you know what I mean? Uh, does that make, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I had a couple of things floating around in my mind, but we'll, we'll stay on this theme of kind of just like when you're doing something like that, when you have to go relearn something like the game of hockey never changed, you know, that the outside of a coach or if you yeah. go to a new team and you know, maybe the meeting is at a different time, but every, most teams usually held meetings at like 5.30 for a seven o'clock game. That was just the standard time on pretty much 95% of the teams I played on. So I never had to relearn anything. The routine was always really the same outside of just kind of reestablishing it when you come back for a summer. So I really like the idea of having to go and be forced to learn something new, like a new aircraft where there's just so much information that you're so busy that you have, there's no idle time for you to really sit and think about these little, I don't know. The garbage. Yeah. yeah, The garbage. Right. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of jealous of you in that regard is that you get to learn something new. Now, what is the standard timeline for someone to be in a specific aircraft? Is there a set time? In, in terms of, so if you, if you fly your whole career, most, most folks, not all, but most folks will wind up <coughs> staying in the same jet their whole career. Okay. That's pretty standard in the fighter world. Now, when, when the F-22 showed up in the Air Force, now the F-35 has shown up in the Air Force. 
those are jumping off points for what we say is legacy fighter pilots, fourth generation fighter pilots to go fly a fifth gen airplane. Most of the, the folks that are out here teaching with me flew something else. F-16s, A-10s, F-15Cs, F-15Es, right? Some F-22s, not many. A couple, there's a couple guys though. And so when you're forced, because the Air Force brings on a new airplane, well, they have no choice but to, but to bring folks from other communities. And, you, and we'll see this again in the next decade when the Air Force brings another fighter online, and, and you'll see that. But most folks have the opportunity to stay in the same airplane, and if they switch, they may switch one time. There are the rare couple that, have, that I know that have gotten called in like three different airplanes, but that's, that's not normal. What, what is interesting, though, is the opportunity that I've had to fly in many different locations. And every time you fly, even if you go temporarily to someplace like Las Vegas, you go fly up in the ranges in Nevada for two weeks for a red flag, the routine changes because your gear is kept in a different locker. And your ops building and where you mission plan is different. The vault that you use to, to, to store all your mission planning computers and, and do your briefs is different. And it isn't the same every time. So, you know, if you go to a red flag like five times, I think I've been to like five, every time you go, it's slightly different. So you, you ha and then deployments are totally different, you know, because you, you go to different locations. So it's almost like playing on a different team. It's the same jet. You're the, the, the procedures are all the same. And what you do is you try to take your pregame ritual and you, you modify it, adapt it, make it work for that location. Probably no different than when you either switch teams or you go on the road and play in a new barn for the first time. I was just going to say, yeah, you're playing road games all the time. It's, yeah. Serious. So you have like a few concrete things that you take yep. with you regardless. Yes, yeah. uh, that's right. And then your, your, your home facility or training area is probably there might be a couple extra things that you throw in the mix just because it's, yep. it's, home, it's home, right? Like yeah. it's so familiar. Exactly. Hmm. And I know that I can, you know, I know that there'll be a spare something. Like if I, if I forget, you know, we have these fancy earplugs where the audio cord plugs into the earplug and then that goes into our ear and then our earmuffs go over that that are inside the helmet. And so you can hear the audio and the radios and stuff through an earplug that's in your ear which is super cool. But if you lose one and you're on the road, ah, you know, it's, it's a much more cataclysmic thing because you may not have the perfect size of the one that you want to replace it in the spare kit. That's the road kit. But if you were home, you've got all the different sizes available as an example, right? Yeah. So we've talked about the routine a little bit, not the, the specifics of each of our routines, but just about having one, forming one, how it's beneficial to us. And then you, then you mentioned the pen. So would we count the pen as like this, and we'll just fixate on this, a superstitious thing that it just has to be a specific pen? I won't give you a hard time on the pen because I used I was a pen thief in the hotels when I'd go to them because I always liked having nice pens. So Four Seasons pen. Oh, yeah, pretty, money. Pretty nice pen. Oh, yeah, that's the one you want yeah, to hold on yeah. Paying for a room there. It was yeah. nicer than the Ritz-Carlton. So Four Seasons, you got nice pens. That's I got a handful of them. I'm running out of ink probably won't be paying to stay there anytime soon. So one day I will be out of these pens, but yeah. what is, and this is a thing like you had asked me earlier um, regarding superstitions with just kind of other players that I'd noticed. And, you know, I think the thing is, is that no one will ever really admit to anything. 
Well, that's not a superstition. It's just a habit. I just, you know, it's a habit or it's part of my routine or whatever. And I don't know if it's a superstition or whatever, but when I did get to Tampa and, you know, I'm backing up one of the best in the world and Andre Vasilevsky, my, my first objective is to just put him at ease, make him feel comfortable. And I, I've mentioned this in the past, but he used to have a big guy, uh, hydrates a whole ton, sweats a whole ton. He had this row of water bottles that he would line up on the edge of the dressing stall. And of course he would put it in between him and myself. And instead of just putting it on the opposite side, because he was at the end of the dressing room, so he could just put them there and no one would touch them. No, he puts them in between himself and the backup goalie. And so one of my first games, I, he drinks them and then he lines them up. So you have these empty, like Dasani water bottles that are just like a little paper in the wind or whatever. So I, I knocked them all over like bowling pins the first game. And I was just, horrified i'm like oh this is the worst start i and i thought it was part of his routine so i was really curious he ended up playing a great game which was thankfully for me um but it was making me think of one of those like superstitious things that he wants to line his water bottle up he's got his routine his maybe his little weird things that he likes to do that help him feel prepared and capable of playing a game successfully and i just went in there and kind of just swatted them like it was nobody's business and I was mortified on the inside, but um, it worked out all right. But it was, I don't know. I, I mean, I had some weird things that I would do, but I guess I just considered them all part of my my routine. The dressing a specific way, uh, yep. you know, getting my coffee, everything I did, every minute of, as we've talked about in the past, every minute from the time that I walked into that arena was calculated. You know, I, yeah. would, I would try and, you know, we play two touch and uh, sewer ball before a game or whatever. Well, I never wanted to be too good at it right like i i would i would just kind of lead myself on so i would even intentionally just knock myself out or misplay the ball so i could leave the game early and stay on routine instead of being the guy that would survive to the end and win it all for sure threw off my routine it would in my head i was going to myself oh now now i've i've kind of thrown off my little thing that i need to get ready in order to play well in a game so same as warm-ups right you know you go out for warm-ups you don't want to do too well in my mind, I got to let in a certain number of goals. It wasn't a specific number. I just had to let in goals to make myself feel as though, hey, okay, I'm not, I'm not you, that good. I better yeah. make sure I'm, I'm ready to go when that puck drops for the official was, game. Was it humbling for you? Was it like a reminder to ground you and be like, no, but this is not going to come easy. I've got to work at this tonight. Like this is, this is my job tonight. Yeah, was because it, like anyone, right? When you're, you're doing something, there, there are certain days where you know you're just you're in that flow and it feels like you can do no wrong i mean you're just you're riding on cloud nine you're making saves left right and yeah whatever whatever you need it gets done for you and then there are obviously other days where it feels like you're just you're swimming upstream in a river yeah. non-stop and you can't do anything right and the harder you fight the worse it gets so for sure um but that routine was always kind of a grounding uh scenario for myself and unfortunately it was very long um, by the end of my hockey career. And I'm, I'm thankful that I don't have to do that. I don't know if you're, you're looking forward to maybe um, putting that routine to bed a little bit once you uh, wrap up your flying career, but um, I'm sure you'll develop something else. This is the thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, cause right now I still feel like I'm, I'm trying to attain this level that I, that I, that I can't, but I aspire to. I'm looking forward to just notching it down. Not that I want to slack off. Not that I want to be less capable, but I just, the level of intensity 
is is something that it it it'll grind you after a lengthy career, and you know that, and we've talked about this. So I'm looking forward yeah. for that to that grind to kind of notch down a little bit. Not that my level of effort or my my precision or anything that I do about how I do things, I just want the stress of it to be lower. And, yeah, I mean, there's only a handful of professions that can demand that excellence out of you on a, a daily basis. Like how does it work for um, pilots in regards to like your season? Like, you know, we, we have a hockey season, it's a scheduled thing. Right. And then, and then I get to shut it, shut it down a little bit and then it becomes something else with uh, off season training. Is there a down period in a year? There, There's like, do you have cycles that you go through provided there's not um, somewhere that you're required to be? No. So there's a little bit, so it depends on operational squadrons or training squadrons right now. I'm in a training squadron. So our downtime right now happens to be the, the, the holidays. So the flying that happened between Christmas and New Year's is much, much less. Um, it's much less stressful mission types. I think a lot of them aren't grade sheet missions. A lot of them are just just currency training opportunities for guys to just go get some air, go get, just go fly, um, but not have a grade sheet with a student on the line. Um, so, so yeah, so we, so you do have the opportunity to kind of pl unplug a little bit. And so we get 30 days of paid leave being in the military. So you can take that just about whenever you want. We ask, it's asked that it's forecasted so that not everybody's on leave together so that we can still fly a schedule, but it's really incumbent upon us to unplug when we need to unplug and take a break when we need to take a break. I've watched it happen before where commanders and squadron leadership have cornered guys and been like, Hey man, when's the last time you took a couple of days of leave? Why don't you unplug a little bit, relax. This will all be here when you come back. And so there's a bit of that, the workaholic thing going on, um, no matter what you do. In an operational squadron, all of the um, the ups and downs, the spin-up, is all kind of usually based on your deployment schedule. So if you know you've got a deployment six months out, well, the, the, pace, the pace is busy. Six months prior, you enter spin-up. You're doing a lot of specialized missions that are going to get you ready for your deployment. Then you get on the road. You're gone for six months. When you come back, that's your time to really take a breath. But the squadron also needs that experience to get to, to plug right back in after two weeks of R and R and get right back into the swing, which is which is now what's happened. Usually, what happens to a squadron when they deploy is there's a bunch of new people that have come in that have no idea what's going on. A bunch of new people, and now the experienced guys that just returned from that deployment have got to help spin them up and then okay. the cycle just like the cycle starts back over again now what's your well what's your take on the the act of flying versus the the teaching side of it like do you do you have to get to that same level every single time like are you required to um bring that same intensity it, or is it, it different teaching to personally being in charge of the squadron or flying yourself like how does that yeah. work so it's different so when when you know more most of the senior folks in the fighter squadron whether it's a training squadron or an operational combat squadron most of the senior folks are instructors there's always instructional sorties that you can plug into as an instructor whether that's teaching a wingman how to become a flight lead or teaching a an experienced flight lead how to become an instructor or you're teaching instructors and there's always some teaching. And so when you're an instructor and a senior senior person in the squadron, 
you don't go fly and just unplug and take off your instructor hat. It may not be an instructional mission, but if something happens that's worthy of your input as an instructor and you're the senior guy in the room, you may not be leading it. But if you're the senior person and something happens, that may be an opportunity for you to provide some instruction to the room, to the two ship or the four ship of folks that are in there and go, Hey, this happened. Let's peel this back. Now, try not to step on people's toes because you want to give them the opportunity to speak and learn and teach. Um, but you never kind of relinquish that. So you always kind of become that leader, both flying or not. Now, when you're, when you're given the task to teach and you actually know there's a grade sheet that you're responsible for, then that's a little bit more pressure on you than it is if you're just kind of in a direct support line where you're just going to go fly. But there's always instructors, and it, whether it's a training squadron or a combat squadron, there's still teaching going on. So that that pressure too kind of kind of adds itself to these to this routine of, you know, am I prepared? Meaning, have I done all the things that I need to do to prepare to fulfill my role for the day? Whether that's teaching, or that's just being a good wingman in this particular day. Maybe I'm lucky and I'm going to go be a a wingman in a formation where we're going to go be bandits. We're going to go pretend we're red air and we're going to go be bandits for another formation to, to use us as a training aid. Well, that's a much lower stress mission, but nonetheless, the routine is, is the same. There are things that I have to do to make sure I'm ready. I got a brief. I got to make sure I'm familiar with the profile. I got to get into the books and study the tactics that are going to be applied for the day. I got to make sure I'm replicating whatever threat the other formation wants me to replicate all those things, all those pressures that goes in with the normal prep. It's this other stuff that can get in the way. And it's the, it's the, the pen. It's which pen do I have that, that I update my iPad and it can get in the way of all those other things that need to be at the forefront of what I'm thinking. And if I let those distractions encroach their way in either because I've made a mistake and omitted one or somebody got into my bubble and messed with my pen, I'm just using that as an example. There's a hundred different things that we can talk about. It's no different for you. So, you know, Vazzy, you know, big cat's got his lineup of water bottles. And so maybe that is his routine. Maybe he does line them up a certain way and you came in and knocked him over. Maybe if he's a less experienced goalie in 2014, that impacts his play. Right. But, but maybe by the time you show up, that was it. I was testing him. It was, he's got it. A, a he's test, got it dialed. He's like, like, whatever, man, like you knocked over my water bottles. Yeah, that's my thing. Didn't but I'm not going to let it get into the mechanism. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have you ever witnessed that where, you, you know, everyone develops their own routine and then maybe they throw in a few of these superstitions uh, where yeah. it's almost just kind of really just affected their performance and they've never been able to kind of turn it around after that. Have you ever I, seen anything like that? I mean, is that in sport? I have in, in hockey at lower levels that I've played and stuff. I've seen that where we mess with guys. He's got his lucky shirt. We steal his shirt. Right. Guys freaking out in the locker room because we took his lucky shirt. And it's like, no, dude, like you're going to play without it because we snagged it and you're not getting it back and we got to get dressed. And the kid's losing his mind, you know? And he yeah. goes out and plays a bad game. Coach is mad at all of us because we stole the kid's lucky shirt. It's like, all right, what, 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 do, what's going on here? Well, it's like, Are yeah, even blaming, you know? Yeah, gear. I've seen guys look like they're oh, yeah. wearing you know, shin pads. Shin pads are one that guys are notorious. I don't think they're anything superstitious. They just really like them, but they yeah. could have shin pads that are been put back together like 15 times by those incredible trainers. And for whatever reason, those guys will never switch shoulder pads, gloves. Um, some, it's crazy, just, right? They're, they're so particular. 
you know some some players love yeah. new gloves every game some are some like new skates uh you know it's just the this consistency of feel i i always hated old pads old pads i was having this conversation with someone the other day they were asking me about well how long does gear last and in a season i would get two months out of a set of pads one month for a set of gloves and then and then it started feeling like it was changing and, and i played with uh, sergey Bobrovsky in florida when i was in columbus he went through a new set of gear every two weeks that's incredible i My mean goodness. that's that puts a dent in your uh your budget on top of having to pay an exorbitant amount of money to an individual to perform at a certain level but i can't imagine getting a new set of gear every two weeks so i bet the gear closet down there in sunrise is pretty chock full of some awesome Bobrovsky swag huh yeah, if anyone's looking for some gear, I would try and hit up the individuals that are in charge of that gear locker room in, in Florida. That's, you can get incredible. some good stuff there. I'm sure yeah. they'd be happy to sell some of it because by the time he gets to it, he's probably already changed. He's like, oh, I want a new color pattern. You know, something. Is it even broken out. in in two weeks? I mean, is it even? No, I mean, even if you play it every day. I really like those that really stiff feel, and some guys would switch, but yeah, anyway, couldn't do it. I. Let me, so I'll answer your question. What I have seen in the flying world, because we're, we're at such a, and, he, and I don't say this to boast, but being a fighter pilot in the United States Air Force is a pretty elite level flying group of people. And nine, 99% of the time, when something happens to their routine that is not in the preparation of the mission, but is in all this other stuff, the things all these controllable variables that we mess with and, and all this pregame kind of routine of what water bottle do I fly with? What pubs kit do I use? Which helmet bag nine times out of 10, when that stuff is messed with, it's not, it's not an excuse to perform poorly. And most of the time we're dealing with professional aviators that don't let those things snowball. Um, if they think it's snowballed, let's be real. They're still safe. We're talking about, style points of things that they could have done better. There's no perfect mission. There's no perfect sortie. So every time I go and fly, there's mistakes that I have made that I can fine tune and fix. Does that mean to the, to the lay person that's viewing that on the outside that they're going to see those mistakes? No, they are so small and so infinitesimally inconsequential to the, to the safety of the mission that they're almost imperceivable. But to us, they're incredibly perceivable. I love that. It's, it's no, it, and it's just because that's what happens at that level, right? And you know this, you've seen it too. And so to the, to the lay person, they have no idea that this is going on in the background, but, but it is. And so let's take it to, so if you're hearing this and you're like, well, what do I do with that? Like the point is you've got to get to, to a place where you're so rehearsed and so practiced that you minimize the impact that your routine breaks have on your performance. And so that's kind of where I've become as I've matured as an aviator. I have ensured that any of these routines that I do, it's to set my mind. It's because we are creatures of habit and I'm, I'm in a checklist discipline sort of environment so that I can prepare my brain to be free and clear when the, when the variables occur. And now I have to make decisions on the fly. It's, it's, it's ironic that I went from at a very low level playing ice hockey goalie to becoming a fighter pilot because I really see the similarities in those two tasks of being able to control all these things, not let it impact me negatively so that I can be ready for the intangibles that I can, cannot rehearse or predict, you know, those game situations. Um, and it's, it lends itself really great to that analogy. 
I love it. I mean, to to me, that's just that that grounding thing where you know you're you're just like a rock, and all this stuff is just flying around you, and it just it doesn't phase you. It's not like one of those things where you know, oh, bird, you, you know, you're like a right. yeah. seeing something yeah. and just turning and catching your eye and getting distracted. It's you're, you you yeah. become so focused on on what you're there to do, and obviously, a lot of it will always come back to the practice habits that you form and and all the training that you've done, but yeah. being able to ground yourself before performance, whether that be flying, whether that be a hockey game or any other endeavor, uh, I think it's so critical to your overall success, your long-term success, your consistency and consistency in anything is really what lends itself to one sticking around and two being able to perform at an elite level. Yes. You know, if, if you can repeat that and, show up day after day and be able to deliver a good performance, then odds are you're going to be a, one of the few people. That's the goal. That's the goal is to, to, to just stay, have staying power in whatever you choose to do and whatever, whatever that line of work is, whatever that sport is, whatever that undertaking is, you want to have staying power. You want to be at the top of your game and you want to sustain that for as long as you can. To me, I always wanted the decision to, to be mine when I stop flying fighters. Sometimes it's made for you. And for me, I always wanted it to be my decision to go, you know what? I'm hanging it up on my terms because I'm going to bow out gracefully and kind of know that this is, this is my time. But I got to throw something back at you, Curtis. I wrote down a couple of things while we were talking. <clears throat> I'm going to say some of these words to a hockey guy and they're going to, and you're probably going to chuckle as I say them. But I want to I want to check off which of these are a big deal to you, and which of them aren't. So music, okay, undergarments like clothing that you wear under your gear, whether the stuff is freshly washed or not, socks or no socks, how thick are the socks, compression or not compression, loose fitting t-shirt or compression shorts, okay, what kind of tape do you use, black tape, white tape, what you know, all those kinds of things. And I know you've seen it, and I know it matters. Some may say it doesn't matter. Most guys, each one of those things has some sort of preference, and they don't want to change, right? So what? um, There was not a thin sock, but a medium thick sock. It was a Reebok. I was the same as you. I went out and bought like 20 pairs of these (laughs) things, and I would keep them. And if a trainer lost them or fell out of my bag, I would get upset. Um, Yeah, compression pants. Not uh, something super thin. Then I had the knee sleeves. Obviously, old guy had to put the knee sleeves on eventually. The core shorts, if you've ever seen those things, kind of keep you all together. Um, And then short sleeve shirt. I never liked long sleeves for whatever reason. I can never get used to having something on my elbow. White tape all day. You can't see anything with black tape. That's I don't know how anyone does the black tape. It's just not my cup of tea. What what am I missing here? Would you ever play with black pads? Uh, I tried a few times. It just, no, I wore the Tampa black pads for about like two games. And then I'm like, get me, get these things off of me. <laughs> white gear. And I was actually forced into white gear by our goalie coach in Columbus, Ian Clark, who we've talked about in the past. Yep. Yep. Um, he was a big proponent of not having any um, hard lines visually when a player was looking at you. So he thought the the white color had a tendency to kind of blend in with whether it be the boards or the netting or yep. something like that. There was no visual cues for shooters to pick up on. So harder uh, for them to eyeball a hole. Yeah. And then I, you know, I've, I've heard even 
like Kucherov, for example, had said to me once when I was wearing the black gear that for him, it was almost something that he focused on when he saw it. So I don't know. You take it for what it's worth, but Cooch is obviously predominantly a passer, but he's a pretty darn good hockey player. So if he says something, I have a tendency to listen to him and be like, oh, maybe maybe the black gear is the way to go. If somebody of this elite caliber is telling me that they find it hard to shoot against. Yeah. Cause I, I look at, you know, I look at uh, Brian Elliott and I see him in his all blue stuff and it looks cool. I just wonder, but I, I guess the, the point in that is you told a story early on in your career when you were playing in Anaheim where you had a, a set of coho, you had a set of put coho pads and gloves. How long did you play with those for? Uh, I think they made it maybe two exhibition games. And in that story, I, I ended up giving up eight goals. We were playing the Kings. I was in Anaheim, as you mentioned. Um, and it's just it, mentally, it was one of those things. I was younger earlier on in the career, right? And that's one of the questions I asked yeah. you is, how were you affected by things that didn't go your way or didn't work out at the beginning versus towards the end? And, you know, in the beginning of my career, these were things that made a difference in yeah. my mind, which is ridiculous, but you know, at that time is like, nope, it's the gear. It doesn't feel right. Even though it's the exact same pad that I was wearing when I switched back into my Reebok, I think Revoke was the pad back then. So, yeah. um, but you do all sorts of weird stuff as a goalie, right? Maybe I am yeah. really weird. I don't know. I don't know. I try to pass off as being a, a normal guy <laughs> who comes across, but then all of a sudden you, you peel back the layers and some people might be a little concerned. Yep. I, I think, uh, certifiable is the, is the word that, that people have used. My wife knows some, I've got some idiosyncrasies that she just accepts, um, but she's a flyer too. And she's got some, so we tease each other about it. So, cause she's also a pilot, but if, if you were to go back to those coho pads and, and play with them in your second to last season, would you have given up on them so quick or would you have discounted it and said it was your performance and not the pads? What do you think? Or is Ooh. there just something about the way they felt that was a tangible reason why you weren't playing as well? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly, I've never gone back and watched the game film footage. It just seemed like I was swimming upstream and everything I was doing was the wrong thing to be doing that day. So um, I'm sure if I switched back, I mean, I've posted a few photos when I did go back to that gear that I had actually signed the blocker has my autograph on it and I gave it to the the gift shop or whatever because I think they sell gear up there. And so I went back and grabbed it from the gift shop. Thankfully, I didn't have to buy it. Um, and I scratched out. So if there's a po picture posted from Anaheim or whatever where there's this like kind of big black Sharpie scrawled out. That's awesome. And yeah, that was me trying to sort it out. I don't know if it would have been any different because I just told you about the black gear, right? Yeah. Well, yeah you know, it, 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 it didn't work. I think if anything, at that point in my career, I was just kind of indifferent. I knew, I knew I was at the end and, you know, I was doing a job where n nobody's life was on the line. So let's put it that way. I was, I was just kind of tired and over it at that point, but that stuff still did play. And I still thought about those things, unfortunately. So I never fully got over it. There were some things that um, would disrupt my routine, but ultimately they didn't have an impact on the outcome of the game, but the gear one. Yeah. If you don't, what does that look good? Feel good. Play good. That's, yeah, absolutely. And I miss the feel good with that coho set of gear. So yeah. I did not play good. 
We say the same thing in the flying world. Look good, smell good. We uh, we have a, a smattering of different colognes and brute and stuff at the ops desk right before we go and fly because can't go and fly and not smell good. So Nice. So Sounds spritz, like the golf clubhouse or whatever. Spritz the brute before we go and step in and fly. It's pretty, <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. Um, I gotta, I gotta ask you before we wrap it up, cause you know, you know, you got the, the fanboy in me here. I, I love the game. And what is the, so I read a story of, and I, and I, I can't remember when I was researching this episode, I read a story about a hockey player. I can't remember who it was. I have to go back and try to find it. He, he acknowledged that there was a younger guy on the team that was kind of in a scoring slump. And he said, you know what? You're being too nice to your sticks. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're being too nice to your sticks. You got to treat him a little bit meaner. And he goes, this is what I do. And he takes his stick to the toilet and puts the blade of his stick in the toilet and flushes the toilet with the blade of the stick in there and then goes and plays. And so he gets this young player to start doing it. And that became that routine. If he didn't flush his stick before the game, it was like he was, he wasn't, he was going to go on a slump. He wasn't going to score or didn't have the chance to score. So that that's pretty out there. I'm not going to lie. I think that Weird. a couple of things jump out at one. Yeah. I'm disturbed to find the goalie. Cause I got this guy who's been flushing his stick down the toilet, shooting <laughs> pucks at my face, which is yeah. gross. Yeah. I'm not a big germaphobe guy, but that's yeah. kind of that's pretty gross. The other one I would think of is, you know, anytime guys were in a slump, um, the, the, you always had said you had to go get ugly goals, right? And getting oh, yeah, ugly goals, yeah. you put yeah. put your stick in the garbage can. So guys would throw their stick, which is also gross now that I yeah. think about it looking back. But it's like, hey, go to the net, get get ugly garbage goals, yep. right? Yep. Maybe something will just hit off your face and go in the net, and that'll exactly. be what breaks the slump. But, right. yeah, the toilet, oh, never seen yeah. that. That is and nasty. That, I, there there were names associated with this article. I got to dig it back up. I got to find it. Somebody, Maybe somebody listening knows exactly who that is and, and can, can – pop it in the Instagram there, but I hope it's a guy who scored like 500 goals. So it's like a I'm legitimate goal scorer. It wasn't a guy who just had like career 20 goals or something over a 10 year career. It was a name of a person who didn't jump out at me that they were a prolific scorer. Okay. Put it that way. It doesn't mean they, it doesn't mean they didn't have good stats. It just means that the name that I saw, I was, it didn't occur to me that that person had a hot hand. You know what I mean? So, but, but I got to ask you, what's the craziest superstition you've seen? You've been in, in a lot of NHL locker rooms and you've been in AHL and, and, uh, and college locker rooms and stuff like that too. What's the, what's the most off the wall thing you've watched a player do that they routinely repeated as part of their pregame ritual? I don't know if there's anything that like specifically jumps out to me. Cause a lot of times I was just so focused on doing my own thing. Yeah, sure. I did sit next to, um, ironically my goalie coach uh jamie mcclennan when he was with the flames and um noodles his nickname tremendous guy one of the best team guys ever uh, i've got his book sitting here next to me that i've got to get through and he was so bizarre before games that it would almost put me on edge just the the nervous energy it was like it was like a he had like the stat pack so you get the stat pack around the league or whatever so he would be studying that he'd be looking through everything he'd be pacing around he was just there was so much i don't know if you want to call it anxiety or just energy before a game that i don't know if it was all part of his routine he would be a fascinating guy to kind of talk to and say okay noodles what what was your routine because when i was in the dress room backing you up for an exhibition game you scared the absolute poop out of me 
Yeah. And it was, it was, it was unnerving to watch you before a game that I was nervous and I wasn't even supposed to be playing. Like you were putting me on edge. So um, he was probably one of the guys that I noticed was just the, it was, it was different, totally weird, super guy. Once the game turned off, it was like a night and day personality, but in terms of getting ready and trying to get into the game, I bet he's got some crazy stuff, but yeah, I was always pretty focused, just kind of okay. doing my own thing because I found early on that I needed to make sure that whether I was playing or I wasn't playing my routine, there was consistency to it. That's exactly, because I thought it was like one of those things that, Hey, I could just go out there. I'm not playing. I get to watch the jumbotron. I get to, you know, answer the trivia questions, try and find the puck underneath the hat when they do that little game up on the board. And then next oh, yeah. thing you know, you get tossed into the, the game and you've kind of, you have no level of focus whatsoever. So yeah, um, yeah I was pretty dialed in, even though I wasn't playing. You know, it's funny. That's the other thing too. We'll wrap it up with this, but, but you know, the, the, the pregame ritual when you're a backup has to include the likelihood that you're going to play in the game. So you don't prepare it. it, it we're, were you preparing differently when you knew you were starting than if you, you knew you were, you were backing up that night? Was that, was the prep, the ritual, the pregame kind of things that you did, did anything change? Nothing changed. The only thing was probably the internal stuff, right? The okay. anxiety was a, okay. was a little bit less, you know, it was like you had certain boxes to tick off if, yep. if you're the backup goalie. Oh, Hayden, my starters show up. Great. Okay. Did he make it through warmups? Check. Are we through the first period? you know, all that stuff. And then by the time you got to the third, you had a tendency to relax a little bit. Yeah. And this yeah, is kind of what I set myself up for. And then there was the rare event that, you know, the guy gets hurt late in the game and you get tossed in. But at that point, you're just sometimes, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, that when things are just sprung on you, you end up actually performing better because you don't have the time to think about it and dwell about it for any period of time. Absolutely. For, for me, same thing. I, you know, if I knew that I was going to be dash three of a four ship where I'm like the, the backup flight lead, if I'm not leading it, you know, and I don't even, maybe I didn't even get to go to the mission planning the day prior. Maybe I've, I've jumped in right as number three. I had other stuff on the schedule. I show up for the brief. I'm minimally familiar with the plan that we're going to go execute. And then on the ground, number one has a maintenance issue with his jet. And I get the call. Hey, three, you've got the three ship go execute. And you plug in and, you know, you go do the mission. There's always that eventuality and, and, and novice fighter pilots will go rest on their laurels as number three and go, Oh, I'm not leading this. So I'm good. I don't have to pay as much attention. And that's a lesson you learn the hard way very early on, very early on when the potential exists for you to grab that three ship and go execute is you better be in the game and you better be ready to, to jump in. And so I think by the time you're an NHL backup, you get that. And when you're not playing, there's that chance that you're going to get, put in the hot seat. And so yeah. I've watched many a youngster sit back and go, Oh, I'm just three today. It's not a big deal. Well, guess what? You're going to lead the three ship. And we hardly ever brief the three ship game plan as effectively as the four ship game plan. So not only are you less briefed on the game plan that you're going to go execute, but now you're going to have to jump in to a role that you didn't expect to jump into. So those yeah. are, uh, again, the, the routine to fly has to you know has to be somewhat consistent and then you've got to be ready for anything that comes your way and it's really a mindset you're no less prepared with information it's just whether or not your brain is ready to put to put itself in that situation where you now have to execute it so 
yeah, sometimes that ends up being the best performance, right? It's that blessing in disguise where, you yeah, know, that, the, 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 the added benefit of the experience of having been around and flown for so long, all of a sudden it just, it all comes to, it all comes out, right? Like sure. you just go out there and crush it. Yeah. So let's, let's wrap it up, right? If you're listening and you're going, okay, these are cool stories, but what does it mean for me? Well, what it means is look, as you're going in and preparing for whatever task you're going to go do, methodically think about the things that you have to accomplish that are logistically required for whatever that is. You can't show up to a hockey game without your skates. Okay. We got that. All the other stuff that are the nice to haves or the things that allow your brain to focus on the task. That's part of your pregame routine. That's part of the thing that's not going to prevent you from performing the task, but it may prevent your brain from being 100% focused like it needs to be. So take these stories and, and, and kind of what we've thrown around here and listened and go, all right, what can I do to make sure I have this mindset that I am now able to just focus on the task at hand and I've eliminated distractions? Because I know I've got the, the special pen. I know I've got white tape on my goalie stick and I'm ready to go. You know what I mean? And so those are the things that you can control. Control them. There is evidence, and we're going to hang this on the link tree. There is academic and scientific evidence that says that pregame rituals increase athletes and high performers ability to focus on the task, which ultimately increases performance. So, so take advantage of those things that you know that you can put into your framework that will help increase your performance. And, and hopefully those things will allow you to conquer your own walls within and, um, and have staying power in whatever it is you're trying to do. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate. It is intended for private, non-commercial use, and the views presented by your hosts or guests do not reflect on any agency, company, or organization that they work for.